0: Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hey, everyone. This is Rachel Hutchison. I have the honor and pleasure of leading global social responsibility at Blackboard. And I am here today on the SG Engage podcast, with Dr. Sally Yuren, e. who is the CEO of Forum for the Future, an international sustainability nonprofit that specializes in addressing global challenges by catalyzing change in key systems. Sally's going to share with us her expertise around why systems change is important for getting to the root of a problem and how social good organizations can work together to make a significant impact on common causes. So welcome to the podcast, Sally. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. It is wonderful to have you here. I love sustainability and, you know, it's a part of what I work on at Blackboard. and I actually have a 21 year old who, you know, it's, he's all about it. He's actually minoring in sustainability in college. So what I don't get right, believe me, he tells me. So we're going to start today just by having you um, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do. Sure. Uh, well,
1: um, I am the chief executive officer of Forum for the Future who, as you just described, we are a non-profit, we have offices in the US, in the UK, in India and in Singapore. We're quite small, we're 70 people across those four offices with a very big ambition. We want to catalyze change towards what we would describe as a just and regenerative future. So to do that, we work in partnership across all sectors, business, government, civil society, to really understand what it is that we need to do to drive systems change for sustainability?
0: Yeah, so systems change is really important. Um, My my son actually just took something called biomimicry thinking and, you know, looking at the systems of nature. And when he was in that class throughout this past semester, we actually had a lot of great conversations um, about the two things. I'd never actually heard that term myself, but I, I thought that was such a you know, interesting kind of new thing for me to be thinking about. Probably not a new thing in the world, but a new thing for me. So let's talk about systems change Mm -hmm. first. Um, What is it? How would you define it? It's both a process
1: and an outcome, rather confusingly. So the process of driving systems change is really understanding how do we reconfigure the systems that we rely on? So how might we re-engineer the food system such that It delivers equitable access to goods and services for a thriving population. So the process of systems change is about reconfiguration, altering relationships, altering ways of working, altering flows of finance. The outcome is a system that's operating to a different set of goals. We often talk about the systems that we rely on as being broken. You know, you'll hear on the news, the health system is broken, the food system is broken, The reality is that these systems are not broken. They're working really well to the current goals of those systems, which often are around short-term profit maximization, haven't taken into account the need to drive social value or environmental value. And so what we really need to do is to rethink our systems, re-articulate the goals of our food, our energy, our apparel, our health system, and then rewire the system so that it can work towards that different set of goals. So it's big.
0: Yeah, systems are big. And we hear a lot about systemic change or systems when we talk about racial equity as well. And, you know, not don't just treat the symptoms of what we're seeing, but treat the system. So why is it important to take on systems change when you want to solve a big problem?
1: Great question. Simply because the challenges that we face today from structural racism and structural inequality through to Our climate emergency, our biodiversity emergency, these are big, complex challenges with multiple drivers of a particular challenge. They're not simple, straightforward issues to solve for. And taking a systems view allows us to understand the interconnections between the different aspects of a given problem, and really helps us understand what are the root causes that are driving this particular challenge that we are seeking to address. Often we tend to look at a particular area and we'll see surface level events and we'll use that understanding to try and design for solutions. But surface level events are indicative of broader trends, in term, are indicative of big root causes of challenges. So, for example, if we think about climate, people often say, oh, the weather's changing, you know, we need to kind of fix the weather. Actually, the root cause of climate change is us as a species emitting too much carbon and that's now really impacting all aspects of our day-to-day lives. So these big challenges that we face today they are complex, they're messy, everything is interconnected and so we need to understand those interconnections to really identify where are those high impact leverage points that we can focus on to drive change. Just give you another example in the food system Obviously, the food system under huge challenge today, climate impacts, biodiversity loss. We have many smallholder farmers across the world that aren't getting the cost of production, lots of issues around livelihoods, and then there's pollution. I mean, the list goes on. But one of the high-impact systemic leverage points in the food system is soil. So if we could improve soil health, then we improve the ability of the soil to act as a carbon sink. So tick, we're doing something to try and solve for the climate emergency. We can also improve the nutritional quality of the crops. So again, that's got a health benefit. And equally, if we build soil health, then we build productivity. And actually, we might increase crop yield, which then drives greater value capture back to the smallholder. So looking at soil is one of those root causes that if we take seriously and design change within that area, we can drive multiple benefits in multiple systems. So it's all about understanding the world around us as a set of complicated messy systems but using that understanding to diagnose where are the best points to really focus on that then will create this ripple out effects that will drive positive impacts in all sorts of places
0: yeah that's a great example and i bet you could also give a really good one that that's focused on water and yes. you know water is an ecosystem and water you know I, I was telling my kids this summer we were in a in a city and you know a couple of weeks ago when we could finally travel and and be together. And I said, you're they like, why are all these cities always on water? I'm like, well, think about it. Think about where people settled and why they settled there. And, yes. and this city had a, had a dam that was a power source for the business. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. It was just really interesting. And because I had that 21 year old there, who's thinking about systems, um, yes. it actually got into this really interesting conversation about, you know, when people settled in the US, where did they go? Where did they start? How did it build out from points where there were major arteries of water? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Another good example is air quality. If we can improve air quality, we can reduce emissions of greenhouse gas and we can also improve public health outcomes. So where, where are those areas that we can focus on that if we really improve them, they drive multiple benefits in multiple places?
0: Okay, so let's get a little bit to the how so how can players throughout what we call the social good community, so that would be companies, foundations, nonprofits, educational institutions, healthcare agencies, etc., anyone really trying to drive a good social impact, start? You know, how do they come together to drive systems yeah. change when they share a common interest in, in one of these areas?
1: Well, you've partly answered the first stage of any process, which is they need to come together what we have really begun to understand is that no one actor in any given system can solve for the big challenges of that system on their own. And so within the social goods system and in the sphere of a particular challenge area, then it's really important that business comes together with government, with civil society, with philanthropy. And the first step is to align around a shared goal. What is it that we're trying to fix here? What does good look like? Because once you get a shared sense of what that North Star looks like, you can then say, okay, what is the role of each of us that we need to play to drive that change? So for philanthropy, how can we use our risk-tolerant financial capital to drive the change that we want to see? Education, how can we build awareness around a particular area? Business, how can we innovate a new solution? And the real trick when it comes to designing for systemic change is to get the system in a room, a virtual one these days, but I hope at some point we'll be back in a real room at, at some point in the future. But to critically understand what is the role of all these individual actors? What is the lever that they can pull? And then critically pull those levers together. So what we've tended to do with big challenges from societal challenges through to environmental challenges, we've kind of pulled levers sequentially and then wondered why nothing changes. And so it's about a shared vision, understanding the role of all the different actors to create that vision. And what is the big lever that they can pull? And then how do you really move together and pull those levers simultaneously? Then a system will begin to shift.
0: Yeah, and I imagine, you know, just the simple everyday politics and who's in charge of what and bureaucracy, make make that really hard. You really have to kind of leave your ego beside and say, if we believe in this, change or this cause then we have to work together to improve this system.
1: I mean I always um, say this and sometimes I say it really explicitly other time I'm a little bit subtle but I say you, you know all of us when we're in these systems change collaboratives we need to leave our ego at the door because actually we need to work for our collective shared vision and at the heart of driving systemic change is collaboration And sometimes we're good at that and sometimes we're really shockingly bad at it. Um, But it's also about understanding that if we work together, there's a broader benefit that in turn benefits all the different actors. But absolutely, leaving your ego at the door is critical to driving systemic change.
0: So how do you tell if it's working? So if you do get this group together and they do leave their egos at the door and they're working toward changing a system, what are the signs that progress is actually happening?
1: Yeah, Uh, it's a brilliant question and a hard one when it comes to understanding system level change because systems are messy, as I mentioned before, and system change, it's not linear, it's not causal, it's really hard to point to one thing, giving a change outcome in a particular area. It's often not temporal. So sometimes you can make an intervention in a system and it might be years before you see the change that you want to see. But given all of that, what we have learned through our work at Forum for the Future is that there are signs of a system beginning to shift. And oftentimes that starts with just new flows of data and information. So a new research report shining a light on a particular issue might be a sign that the system is beginning to shift because flows of information are altering um, in terms of where where they were before. You then also see new, what we would call pioneering practices, so new ways of doing things. And historically, when we've seen innovations, we've tended to say, brilliant, we have an innovation, we've sold for our big challenge. But we know that that's not enough because innovations need to scale. So then you're looking for changes in investment patterns, changes in market mechanisms, changes in business models. You're also looking for new relationships. In a lot of our work, we try and bring together the entrepreneurs with the incumbents and they begin to form partnerships. That's another sign that the system is shifting. And then there are two more signs, um, which are super important and sound really woolly, but I'm going to share them anyway. One is that the overarching narrative of the system begins to to shift. So this is where the whole COVID crisis has been really interesting. At Forum, we have been saying for years now, if anyone cared to listen, planetary health equals human health. We can't have healthy people without a healthy planet. And the whole COVID crisis has done one positive thing. It's shown us that that is true. So what happened in a wet market in Wuhan equally linked to zoonotic diseases entering into our ecosystem, illegal deforestation, the cause of that has meant that as a species, we've not been very well. And without healthy people, we don't have a healthy planet and vice versa. So understanding these interconnections becomes really important. And then the narrative has now shifted. You hear politicians saying that actually public health is related to environmental health. So once that narrative shifts, that's another signal that a system is shifting. And then fundamentally, and that goes to sort of the deep root cause of change is people's mindsets need to change. I was struck just um, earlier this week, the G7 issued a communique to say, yes, we need to get to zero carbon. We also need to ensure a just transition. It can't just be a carbon story or a technological carbon reduction play. We need to ensure social equity. So the narrative around net zero is shifting, which indicates that our understanding of what's really needed to drive sustainability is also shifting. So you're looking for changes in data, changes in models, changes in ways of working, shifts in narrative, shifts in mindset. These are all signals that the system is shifting. Once you see that, you can then use more traditional KPIs. But the mistake that we sometimes make is, We try and measure systems change too early. We try and measure stuff that can be measurable. But oftentimes with systemic change, it's actually the stuff you can't measure that you need to be looking out for.
0: Yeah, I love that, that commentary on the changing narrative. And, you know, I've done a lot of work in my career that is hard to measure. And, you know, sometimes in business, we focus a lot on data and that's really important. But there's also this kind of, looking at how people perceive what you do versus what yes. you actually do, how it's landing and how over time you're, you're moving that narrative and yeah. people's belief is shifting and changing. And it's easier to see when you look back and say, oh, wow. But if you had to prove every step based on data, it does become hard. Yeah. Um,
1: and I, I think, you know, the pitfall I've seen is, you know, many in particular investor communities, business communities, you know, the mantra, what doesn't get measured can't be managed, but what are we trying to measure to what end? So we need to think about why are we measuring this? And are there aspects of progressive change that can't be measured? And it, there's something really important here about understanding how change happens. Change doesn't happen just because you can measure something. And we really need to step over this obsession with measuring everything because, systems change is both a qualitative set of shifts as well as a quantitative set.
0: Yeah. And this has been the year of change for sure. And, you know, jumping us in, I think in some positive directions um, to help people, as you noted, really understand the interconnectedness. I've never felt like there was more proof that the we live in a global world, global and hyperlocal at the same time. Yeah. So all of a sudden, last March, you went to a store and there was a product that was completely missing from the shelves because it was produced in some place where, you know, the borders are shut already. We can't get that product. We all mm-hmm. of a sudden, everything we took for granted, we realized, oh, wow, I am deeply dependent on all of these different people and functions in other countries that I didn't even think about.
1: Yeah, because the world is... as the, cause the, the other part of systems is, sorry, is, is they're nested, right? So you also there tends to be lots of dichotomous conversations. So if we can't measure it, we won't manage it. It's either global or local. We we tend to sort of enter into kind of polarised discussions. It's organic or it's non-organic. The truth is we don't live in that polarised world and everything is nested. What happens at a local community level will determine what happens at a regional level, at a national level, at a global level. And understanding our world as a set of nested systems Helps us appreciate what's happening at each of those levels. And they are all important. It's not either or.
0: So you talked a little bit about measurement already. But measurement is important. And data is important. Data are important. I think we're allowed to say data is now, according to like the official world, although it technically is plural. So how do you start measuring? How can an organization that you're working with begin to actually measure its impact on systems change? Because they're going to want to do that at some yeah. point. So
1: start with your direct impact. So on the environmental side, you can measure your carbon reduction, you can measure your waste reduction, your water reduction. You can then get quite creative. You can measure revenue generation through new sustainable products and services. There's a whole lot of stuff you can measure. On the social side, how many people in your supply chains are getting the living wage? How many have access to whistleblowing procedures? How many have access to health insurance? When it comes to your direct operations, there's an awful lot you can measure. And these are often now just table stakes and need to be measured. You know, we need to understand, are we making progress towards reducing carbon? Are we making progress to ensuring well-being and equity amongst our global supply chains? You can then start to ladder up from these direct impacts to these broader systems impacts. So lots of collaborations, particularly within the business community, where organizations are collectively describing their impact in relation to science-based goals for climate, for example. So you can begin to ladder up these direct impact areas. And then ultimately we can begin to ladder up to the sustainable development goals. There are multiple indicators underneath each of these goals. You can begin to chart your contribution to that. So that's all actually relatively straightforward. I I mean, you can do it. But you need to be looking out for the other big shifts as well. So, yes, measurement is important. How do we also spot that the narrative is changing, that mindsets are shifting? And there are other signs that the system is beginning to reorientate towards a different set of goals. And, you know, one brilliant indicator at the moment is that I think it's 70 trillion dollars under ESG investments right now. So environment, social uh, investments which is a really brilliant indicator of an economy that's shifting from one that's purely predicated on, it's all about short-term profit maximization, to an economy, which is where I really hope we're headed, an economy that values environmental capital, that values social good creation. And just the sheer sum of money under ESG, I think, is an indicator that we might be heading in that direction.
0: It's so funny that you mentioned ESG, because that's exactly where my head was going. So BlackBud just released our third social responsibility report in April. And it's a project that I launched and I've been working on. It's like a child. I I love this work. And I actually think of the report as having two sections, the narrative section, and then the data section. It's kind of interesting because our conversation has been talking about both. But you know, when I think about what's under and although it differs depending on what resource you look at, what's under E and what's under S and what's under G, someone might say, Well, well, how did they come up with those? But a lot of the things that are under those categories are the exact things you're talking about. You know, they're talking about, you know, data having to do with employment practices or data having to do with Tracking, measuring, reducing um, energy waste, et cetera. They they point to you know governance. We're a participant in the UN Global Compact. So like, are you thinking about the thing, the ten principles of the UN mm-hmm. Global Compact, which have to do with um, you know, human trafficking, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, things that in a global world we have to think about. So that's another kind of map toward if you're measuring those things, then you actually are thinking about things that are at the heart of systems changes. Do, do you think that's a fair way to say it?
1: Um, it means that you're getting there at the heart yeah. of moving towards systems change is to accept quite a hard truth and a difficult truth that the current way our systems work today, the current way the economy works isn't really fit for a long-term purpose. And ultimately, driving systemic change means letting go of some things that aren't working terribly well, and building something better, and building something that is better able to meet the needs of a growing population and a planet that's faltering. So that speaks again to that mindset shift. I think a lot of what has happened in sustainability over the last two to three decades has been very much around incremental change. And in some ways, and I'm sure I've done this in my career, locked in an existing unsustainable system rather than designed for transformational change that allows the emergence of a new way of doing things. So it's accepting that actually, we need a new and a better way of doing things, we need to chart a path towards that and be measured as to how we go it as well as measuring how we get there but really challenging ourselves to think quite radically and to think ambitiously otherwise the system won't change
0: yeah that's 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 very fair and it very much is a journey I mean we we recognize the blackboard that we're on a very long journey and we might have made some exciting steps this year but it's there is so much more to do and there's always more to do it's not like this you know, even just thinking about ESG, that journey never ends. You know, the more you do, the more it equips you to be mindful about the next piece that you do.
1: Yeah, I would say it definitely is a journey. Um, I would also say, given the urgency of the structural challenges we face in our society and the emergency of the climate situation, we need to get a move on. And so, I really think it's time that we kind of sped up that journey a little. And I think that taking a systems lens allows us to do that because we can get to the heart of an issue a lot quicker than if we were just tinkering around the edges.
0: So for those of us, uh, you know, all the people listening on this podcast, if they're interested in, in learning more about systems change, learning more about your organization or learning about how we can speed up this process, where do they go to get more information?
1: just visit our website www.forumforthefuture.org um, find out about our school of system change, visit our future centre we've got a whole wealth of information on our main website, on our future centre which is designed to inspire you to take bold transformative action.
0: I love that word inspire and I mentioned my 21 my year old at the top of this episode but it really is um, half of what we talk about is Things that he's really worried about about the planet, and the other half is is that deep desire and inspiring passion to to make change. And he tells me that, you know, individual action matters, mom, but what really matters is bigger bigger players need to make change. And the big players, big companies, big players. Yeah.
1: We all have a role to play. We absolutely do. We all have agency. And we've got some big powerful levers around us that we can pull. And if we all play our role and push those big levers, then we might create that big change that we need to see. The last thing I would say is that the future isn't something that just happens to us. Um, William Gibson, the science writer, wrote um, over half a century ago, the future is already here, it's all around us, it's just not evenly distributed. So there are signs of a regenerative economy around us, there are signs of financial instruments driving social good, they're already here. So how do we bring them into our mainstream and create the future that we want? Taking a systems lens could allow us to do that.
0: The future is already around us. So with that, Sally, I would love to just thank you for joining us today on the SG Engage podcast. It's been terrific having you. Yeah, terrific having you. And I know I'm going to go and find out more because this is our world that we live in. And to our listening audience, I want to just say thank you for joining us on this SG Engage podcast. Uh, Make sure you check out our other episodes. And that's all for now. This is Rachel Hutchison signing off.